Hello, welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 248 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, we're discussing how to lower the amount of toxins in your home without spending any money. All too often, the conversation surrounding low-toxin living has to do with replacement. Replace your plastic bags with silicone bags. Replace your flame-retardant mattress with a natural brand. Replace your Teflon pans with nonstick pans. While yes, replacement does have its place in the low-tox conversation, Replacement demands an awful lot of resources and an awful lot of privilege. So today I'm speaking with Emma Roman. She is a fellow podcast host. She has two podcasts all about how we can make our home safer for ourselves and our families without replacing a single darn thing. Now we're going to get into our conversation today after a quick word from today's first sponsor, When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. And we are back with Emma Roman. Emma, I'm so thrilled to talk to you today. How are you? I'm excited to be here. Thank you. I'm doing very well. You are the host of a new podcast, Healthy Green Home. Talk to me about who you are, what you do, and how you found yourself hosting a podcast about healthy green homes. I am an environmental engineer by education, and I got into the green building field while in university. I have been a bit of a budding environmentalist for a long time as a kid. I've always been interested in the environment, and that's how I landed in environmental engineering. And I was not expecting to find a passion and interest in creating healthy indoor spaces, but that is where I landed. So for 15 years, I've been an accredited green building professional working a lot on very large developments. And when I had my children, I started to take all of the theory that I had learned in school and practical applications in these massive buildings and realizing we're spending a lot of time in our own home. What is really going on in our four walls? And I started, you know, dabbling in green cleaners and switching over to non-toxic personal care products when I was in university, started looking at my diet in terms of organic, but it wasn't very streamlined or strategic. I was just doing things here and there. 
And when I had my second child, I ended up on a very massive deep dive research project to see if what I was doing for our family really mattered. I secretly wanted to find out it did not. And I could go back to living like a quote unquote normal person and not worrying about ingredients and cleaning products and crib mattresses and all of that stuff and discovered the opposite. I started my company Green at Home. I have been teaching moms and moms-to-be how to approach toxins in their home in a science-based and and practical way. The Healthy Green Homes podcast is product of the EcoParent magazine, so it's one of five channels, and they asked me to host it because of my experience with creating exactly that, Healthy Green Homes. You mentioned using science on your podcast and on your platform to help homeowners create toxin-free homes. And I love that because I feel like the toxin-free community gets a lot of slack for being alarmist, perhaps. And so I love the science-based foundation that you operate from. What's one thing that listeners likely don't know about their homes as it relates to toxins? First, I would like to clarify the toxin-free movement because I think that's something that we need to shift the narrative because it's setting people up to fail right off the hop because there is no such thing as toxin-free. That's almost what people don't know about their home is that it is not toxin-free. There are toxins in there. They don't need to tackle them all. But what we are learning about our indoor environments and the ingredients in everyday products is that they're accumulating in our bodies. When it comes to our home, we have a lot more control over what we are exposed to at home than we might think. I think a lot of people think that oh, I can't do it because I can't afford an organic mattress or I don't have access to organic food. And so I just won't bother doing anything. And so I think the biggest kind of misunderstanding is that you need to buy lots and spend lots of money in order to reduce toxins. But you don't have to. It's important to meet you where you're at. And addressing toxins is an incredibly important element of our health. My own podcast is called The Missing Pillar of Health because toxins deserve a seat at the table as much as exercise and sleep and nutrition. They all work together to maintain our health. And especially when it comes to kids, toxins are having an impact on long-term health. And we're seeing it, talking about the science, we're seeing the research is really building in terms of how they contribute to asthma and allergies and hormone disorders, metabolic disorders, all of these different issues. Our homes play a very important role. It's not the be-all and end-all, but our homes play an important role in a healthy lifestyle. This podcast talks an awful lot about conscious consumerism, making smart choices, with regard to what we bring into our homes. And the sad fact is 
that a lot of the items on the market that we may or may not bring into our homes are not safe for us, not safe for our children, not safe for our health. You also mentioned there too, you went on this deep dive research before your second child came along, primarily because you almost wanted to throw your hands up and say, (laughs) oh, the problem's too big, I can't tackle it. I think that is quite common. It's easier to throw up your hands and say, up too big, I'm not even going to attempt than it is to start chipping away at the problem. I should also say too, that a lot of times when we talk, you mentioned toxin free is not accurate. Let's talk, let's say low tox. I don't know if that's a phrase, but we're going to go with it. Low tox. I've talked about this many times on this show and the experts that I have on the show their response is always replace the toxic stuff with less toxic stuff. And that demands an enormous amount of privilege. So what I want to talk to you today is how on earth we can take our existing structure, flawed as it may be, with our existing stuff, flawed as it may be, and create a low toxin home. Give me a tip. (laughs) The first thing to think about when you're become aware of toxins and what they can do for your health. I think the area that you can impact without needing to buy or throw away a ton of stuff is your air quality. We think a lot about our exposure from plastics or cookware or sheets is a really hot topic in my community right now for some reason. I don't know if someone wrote an article about organic sheets. I don't know. But these kind of trends come up where people think that they need to toss what they have. And so if you just think of your indoor air quality first, it creates a bit of a boundary for you so that you're not constantly jumping between product to product or different strategies. Start to think about, okay, what can I do as a habit So you're not looking at products at all, but what can I do as a habit to improve indoor air quality? And the first thing is to increase the amount of fresh air in your home. This does wonders for helping flush out the toxins that are emitted from the products in your home itself without having to buy anything new. I like to use the EPA numbers two to five times more polluted than outside air. And so when you can bring in fresh air, it could be as simple as opening your windows five to 15 minutes a day, depending on your climate. I am in Ontario in Canada. I've got, I don't even know how many feet of snow outside and it's very cold. I am not in the habit of opening my window often, but you can still open it when it's cold outside. You can also look at if you have a forced air system, looking at running your furnace on cycle so that it is moving air through your home, not only when you need to heat or cool it. And if you're in a newer home, or what we're going to do in our old home is install a ventilator. So if you this doesn't work if you're on rads, but if you have a forced air system, then you can put in a ventilator and it will help bring in fresh air and exhaust the old air. You can, if you don't have a furnace, then you can use your kitchen fan and your bathroom fan and crack a window to move more air through your home. So what I hear you saying is instead of getting overwhelmed by all the areas, 
all the action steps, all the products that are marketed to us that we need to buy to replace other items. That's a marketing technique right then and there. When we think we need to throw out our quote unquote toxic sheets, which we've had for 20 years and buy new organic cotton sheets, that's a marketing technique right there. But what I hear you saying is instead of focusing on all the areas, you zone in on air quality. You mentioned you're on, in Ontario, and Ontario has similar weather to New England. Do you open your windows every day? I do not. No. In the summer, yes. In the winter, I don't, especially because I don't keep the house very warm in general. I tend to keep it on the cooler side, but we will use our exhaust fans quite regularly. And so my house is 100 years old. It is leaky. And so that's how homes were ventilated back in the day. New homes are very well sealed. And that's why they need a ventilation system to bring in fresh air. My house, when we run our exhaust fans, it's pulling air through the leaky walls and older windows that we still need to replace. So that's my version of a passive ventilation strategy. This is really important if you're in a newer home, make sure that you're running your ventilator or opening windows as much as possible. What about those of us listening who live in a very congested area, a urban environment, where opening the windows may increase the toxins in our homes as opposed to let the existing toxins leave? Do you have any thoughts on that for them? Yeah. And there is an exception to every rule. And so the same thing, if you're living in California during fire season, you probably do not want to be opening your windows. That would be very counterproductive. So I think it's important to recognize where you live and what your outdoor air quality is like, because there are going to be different seasons that are going to be worse outside than inside for sure. Same with if you are living in a area that is undergoing construction, if you're living in a new development or you've got road construction going on. These are all going to be factors into the opening window strategy for sure. In urban areas, North America urban areas, yes, if you're living near major arterial routes, your air quality is going to be worse than if you're living in a rural area. And so you can often go on depending on where you are, but you could Google it, the Outdoor Air Quality Index, where you can find out what the air quality is like. But yeah, if you are, you know, where I used to live, I moved out, I moved to outside Toronto a few years ago, but there are condo buildings next to major highways, and you can't keep the windows clean because of all of the exhaust and grit and stuff. You can still bring in some outside air, recognizing that it may be higher in particulate matter at certain times of the day. If you can, don't do it during rush hour, for example. Maybe open it before you're going to bed when not as many people are moving around so you can be strategic. We're going to finish up the air quality question, but then we're going to move on to other ways in which we can create that low-tox environment in our homes with Emma Roman after a quick word from this week's sponsor. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. 
Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we are back with Emma Roman, host of Eco Parents Healthy Green Home podcast. Emma, I have one more question about windows and air quality, and then I want to move on to some other ways in which we can curate that low-talk space without spending money. You did mention the furnace and filters. Do you have any other thoughts there on ways in which we can maintain our existing systems without appalling them all? Maintenance is a huge factor. A lot of us move into homes for the first time, nobody's taught us how to use the various systems that are in it. And you're just handed the keys. Maybe if the previous owners or if the contractor is on it, they'll give you the instruction manuals in a giant bag and say, have fun. But for a lot of us, you move into a house and you decorate it and you think, all right, I'm a homeowner. But there are systems in the home that we are responsible for maintaining. And so I think having regular furnace maintenance or boiler maintenance, depending on what kind of system you have, is really important. Now, the thing with furnace maintenance that has come up a lot in my community is they'll have service contractors come in and they'll replace the furnace filter and they say, oh, you you don't need this high efficiency filter. They're not necessary. Just put in this very basic. It's a lot cheaper and it's better. The thing with furnace filters and the maintenance contractors is they're focused on the performance and life of the furnace, which is important. But filters can also help improve the air quality inside your home. 
putting in a high efficiency filter against the advice of your HVAC contractor is something that I do tend to recommend. You just, they are more expensive and you do need to replace them more regularly, but know that your HVAC maintenance person might not be as skilled in the whole healthy home conversation and they may have other drivers. So having your furnace um, checked and tuned, changing your furnace filter, the number of times people don't change their furnace filter or don't even think about it, it's very common. That is something that can burn out your furnace quite quickly if you don't change it often enough because the filter traps the particulates. And if the fan is trying to push air through a clogged filter, it has to work harder. Usually one to three months is typical. Same thing with things like your washing machine has a filter on the outlet. Yeah. And so making sure that filter gets cleaned out every now and then, your dishwasher has a filter in it. And these machines are not going to work as well. And what I see people saying is, oh, this green dish soap or laundry soap isn't working. It actually has nothing to do with the green product. It's the fact that you're not maintaining the equipment that it's being used in. So filters throughout your home, if you have a water filtration system, those need to be replaced. So Understanding what equipment is in your home and how to keep it running smoothly is really important. And it doesn't have to take long. Okay, um, you're rocking my world because you're essentially speaking to everything this podcast talks about. We're talking about conscious consumption, which is, of course, keeping and maintaining what you already own, but also self-sufficiency, which is understanding what your existing home needs and having the knowledge to to do it, to either do it yourself or hire the appropriate person to do it. And so I must be honest, as you were talking and you're talking about replacing the furnace filter and changing the filter on your washing machine, I, I wanted to glaze over and think, okay, my husband has this. These are quote unquote, his jobs in the way that we divide labor in this house. But that is the wrong approach for me personally. In our pre-conversation, you mentioned Teflon. So let's start there. What on earth is Teflon? Why is it so terrible? And what are your best thoughts? So if you haven't seen The Devil We Know or Dark Waters, The Devil We Know is a documentary. Dark Waters is a Mark Ruffalo, more Hollywoody film, but they tell essentially the same story about Teflon. I highly recommend that you watch one or both of them. But Teflon is one very specific example of a problematic group of chemicals called PFAS. They are used in nonstick coatings like Teflon. They're used in waterproofing sprays, waterproofing treatments, stain repellents, those sorts of things. The issue with Teflon is that it is a very persistent substance. And so once it gets into the environment, it doesn't degrade. It takes a very long time to get out of our bodies. And the issue during manufacture and what those films break down is the unscrupulous nature with which they are manufactured and how workers in the manufacturing facilities have been impacted, how communities downstream of manufacturing facilities have dumped contaminated water, how they have been impacted. 
And the most problematic chemical that used to be used to make Teflon has actually since been banned, but because it's so persistent, it's in our environment still. But the way that our regulatory system works, it's called a post-market regulatory system. And just because the one chemical has been banned, Teflon obviously still exists. It's still being made. They've pivoted and used other substances to make a similarly performing nonstick coating. And we just keep finding that these replacement chemicals, they're called regrettable substitutions. These same replace these replacement chemicals have the same health risks and environmental impact as the chemical that has been banned prior. It's this whack-a-mole process that we're in. So I don't think we should be manufacturing Teflon. I don't think we should be buying products made with it. However, a lot of people learn this after outfitting their kitchen with Teflon. And the advice out there by the majority, if not all, of the people that I have heard is to throw away your Teflon pan immediately. It is going to kill you. And I would like to tell you that is not the case. And the problem with just throwing out stuff that is an otherwise good working condition is the impact on its manufacturing has already been made. You can't undo that. People can go in this guilt shame spiral. Don't do that. You didn't know. You can't go back and undo it. You can only do better the next time you go buying a buy a frying pan. So you've got Teflon in your kitchen. The biggest health risk with Teflon is that it can release the chemicals that are used to make it at very high heat. Now, studies have shown that this heat level can be achieved with normal stovetop cooking, and it's more risky if the pan is scratched. So if you've got a pan that is scratched as I'll get out, perfect opportunity to get rid of it. Unfortunately, it goes in the garbage. They can't be put in the recycling and go buy something that is not Teflon. But if you have something that is not scratched, it's in good condition, use it on as low heat as possible. Always heat the pan with something in it. If you're heating a dry pan, it's causing the pan itself to heat up. There's nowhere really for the heat to dissipate. Obviously, it goes into the air, but the pan heats up first. So always heat it with something in it, whether it's oil or water, something to help keep the pan itself from getting super hot. And then you can use it safely. Use soft cooking utensils on it. Don't be using metal spatulas on your Teflon pan. And mix it in with other cooking materials. If you've got some cast iron pans or stainless pans, if you don't need something that's that's super nonstick, you can rotate through so that you're not just cooking 100% on any given material. You're extending the life of your Teflon pan. Yes, it's not the best material, but you're not just going to be throwing it away unnecessarily. Mm. I love all of those suggestions. Thank you. I should just say that Teflon, in my opinion, is short-term convenient, right? Like nonstick, lovely, but long-term hazardous. And I would say the same with plastic. So I'd love to wrap up our conversation with getting your thoughts on plastic, particularly plastic in the kitchen, best practices. And let's personalize this with regard to how you use plastic in your own home and in your own kitchen. 
Yeah, I would love to say that I have a plastic free home, but I do not. It is far from (laughs) the case. I actually have a lot of plastic in my kitchen because we stocked up before I started to pay a ton of attention to it. And it's still in really good shape for lunch containers and that sort of thing. When I am buying new, I am not buying plastic. There are some things that plastic just does a really great job at, and that's fine. But when it comes to plastic and food contact, the best ways and the way that I use plastic in my kitchen is anything that I am putting in hot. So if I've got leftovers that haven't fully cooled and I'm putting it into a container to put in the fridge, I'm not putting it in my plastic container. I'm putting it in glass or stainless If you are heating food in a microwave, even if the plastic container says microwave safe, that just means the container itself won't melt or catch on fire. But the biggest thing with plastic and food is the chemicals in the plastic that can leach into the food are increased with heat, acidity, and friction. So if you've got a cold food that is like a normal dinner. I don't think there's a ton of risk in putting cold food in the fridge in plastic every now and then. With acidity, like tomatoes. So if you've got, if you ever put leftover chili in a plastic container and you can't ever get that red out of the plastic, it's because that acidity, the plastic and the food have leached both ways. That's why the the plastic tends to get dyed red. I think this is the, the same kind of case as with Teflon, hard plastic is less likely to leach than soft plastic. BPA is what's used in hard plastic. Soft plastic doesn't tend to have BPA. So if you see BPA free on a soft plastic baggie, that's greenwashing. There wouldn't be BPA in it anyways. And so I think using it cautiously And again, mixing it in with other different kinds of containers in your house can help reduce your exposure. And then as my containers are wearing out or lids are breaking or that sort of thing, I'm researching replacements ahead of time. And I think that's really important so that when your containers break and you need storage solutions, you're not just going to the store unprepared because chances are you're going to pick up what has worked for you in the past and the shelves have way more plastic options than other things and so that's what's going to be easier. So do your research, figure out what you can find that is going to work for what you actually need to use it for before you're going to replace it. Emma, I'm so happy I met you virtually. This is such a great conversation and I'm I learned so much. So thank you so much. Tell us where we can find your two podcasts, I believe you said you have two of them. So tell us all of that. One podcast is Healthy Green Homes. And we talk about all things toxins, but also talking about more of the environmental impact of day-to-day living as well. My other podcast, The Missing Pillar of Health, is focused on toxics and women's and children's health issues that are often misunderstood or misrepresented. I bring a lot of naturopathic doctors onto the show. My website is greenathome.ca where you can find lots more resources uh, from me as well. Listeners, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Emma Roman. I have linked to her podcast. I have linked to the EcoParent magazine. I have linked to everything we talked about today in this week's show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 
888-789-2248. Now, I will see you on Thursday where we are discussing President Joe Biden's Build Back Better agenda, what it means for environmentalists like you and me, and most importantly, how we can support this legislation that is currently stalled in Congress. I will see you then. Have an amazing two days. Take care. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.